You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian Geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, here from New York City. And joining me today is a special guest back with us on the podcast. Some of you might recognize her is Catherine Putz, The Diplomats Managing Editor and Resident Central Asia Hand. How's it going today, Katie? It's doing good. Exciting week in Central Asia. Yeah, no, we're very happy to have you back on. I know the Asia Geopolitics podcast probably doesn't get to Central Asia as often as we should, but it's a reminder that The Diplomat does cover the region. In fact, Katie has really put together a spectacular stable of contributors and, and is one of the preeminent voices on Central Asian analysis herself. Um, but one of the one of the things that we're going to be spending this episode talking about is a an unfurling sort of Shakespearean drama in Kyrgyzstan, or at least what to me as a fairly ignorant observer who hasn't nearly been following this as closely as you as, as you have, Katie. Um, certainly, that's the sense I'm getting here. So today, as we're recording this, um, just I believe a few hours ago, the former Kyrgyz president Almasbek Atambayev has faced a set of charges, including conspiracy to commit murder. And I know that sounds very dramatic, and we'll get into the details of what exactly happened. There was a very dramatic nighttime raid on his resident. There's political rivalries here at play. But I'm not going to be the one doing the talking on this episode too much because, uh, like I said, this is not something I've been following all that closely. But but it seems fascinating, and it absolutely seems like a, a development worth elevating and covering uh, on, on this podcast. So, Katie, without further ado... Um, take us back a bit and just walk us through the cast of characters involved here. So I brought up the former president, Almazbek Atambayev, and the current president, uh, Surinboy Jinbekov, uh, is also um, obviously a major player here. Um, what do we need to know about, about these men and their relationship? And, and who else is, is part of this story? Uh, excellent place to start because this all has to do with the personalities involved. Um, so Atambayev was president of Kyrgyzstan from 2011 to 2017. Uh, he became president after the interim presidency of a woman named Rosa Atambayeva, and she was president uh, after the second Kyrgyz revolution threw out of power a guy named Kermanbek Bakiev. Um, and Atambayev was a major figure in, in the re second revolution and he became president in 2011. Kyrgyzstan has term limits that they are trying to stick to, uh, unlike the rest of Central Asia. So he was only president for one term and then he had to step down. Uh, and so in the process of electing a new president, Adambayev endorsed Soranbay Zhinbikov, who was a member of his party. Zhinbikov had been prime minister, uh, stepped down to run for president. And so up until election day and maybe a month or so after, Adam Baev and Jean Bakov were, you know, a one-two, a Putin-Medvedev situation, um, in a sense. Uh, and, then, and then January 2018 happened. And in January 2018, the Bishkek power plant, which had recently been modernized under a Chinese contract that had been settled when Adam Baev was president, it broke down on the coldest day of the year. There was this massive blackout in Bishkek. And stemming from that, there was a lot of agitation for dealing with corruption. Uh, and so the Jean Bikov administration looked towards its predecessor and started going after a lot of Adam Bayev allies uh, mm -hmm. and using sort of the power plant saga to go after these folks. But the sort of part of that tension, I think, was really that Zhinbikov wanted to be his own president, and Adam Bayev thought he would have a lot more influence than he ended up having. 
and so over the past year and a half, it's just been a steady drifting apart of the two. And the further that they got apart, Adebayo, who's always had a bit of a mouth, has been uh, sort of lambasting Jean Bacot for being corrupt and, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, other figures that are important for us to remember before I go down the rabbit hole uh, is a Chechen gangster uh, or an ethnic Chechen gangster named Aziz Batakayev. Uh, he had been put in jail in 2006 in Kyrgyzstan and was released early in 2013. And we can get into the details of that and why that matters after. Um, there are probably a couple other figures, but really Adam Bayev and Jean Bakov are at the core of this. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us a bit about, you know, I mean, this uh, this does kind of seem like a classic uh, phenomenon that you might observe in a country that doesn't necessarily have the strongest institutions or rule of law, uh, you know, a, a president taking on uh, his or her predecessor and clamping down under the guise of corruption to satisfy sort of constituents mm-hmm. that are uh, deeply upset about the issue of corruption. We've seen that playbook sort of in, in the majority of places. But Kyrgyzstan um, isn't quite you know, a basket case of a country like that. So I was wondering, you know, uh, what should we know about the state of kind of rule of law and institutions in Kyrgyzstan? And were you kind of surprised at the dynamic between these two men, um, the way it observe, um, has evolved over over the past uh, couple of years? Yeah, so I wasn't necessarily surprised by the, the breakdown between them. Uh, if you look at the uh, short history of Kyrgyzstan as an independent state, it's every single one of the presidents has been hounded by their successor. Um, the first president was thrown out of office in a revolution, uh, and Bakiev, uh, his name was Askar Akiev. Tremenbek Bakiev became president, had led the move to throw out his predecessor, and then became a duplicate of his predecessor. And so he was tossed out of office. Uh, and and Atabayev uh, was supposed to lead this sort of change. And, and I remember when the 2017 election happened, uh, it was a really remarkable moment for Kyrgyzstan where there was a normal transition of power from one elected president to another elected president. But really, the, this kind of gives the lie to that transition. That transition happened on paper, uh, but then was followed up by a uh, gentle nudging out of office and arresting of, of allies of the former president who might be as corrupt as they're being uh, charged with. But the problem is the reason that they're being charged with corruption, the reason that the government is going after them is because of their allegiance to Adam Bayev, not really because they're corrupt. There are other mm-hmm. uh, notoriously corrupt figures in the government who remain in government, but they're on the right side. And mm-hmm. so that's where the, the issue of the rule of law really comes into this. And the fact that sort of politics and the rule of law in Kyrgyzstan is very personalized. So it's right. which guy is on your side and which guy is not on your side and what you can give to somebody. And Jean becomes the guy in charge. Uh, and so that's become really clear. Uh, and Adam Bayev thought that maybe he'd have a little more influence and he and he didn't. Right. Um, and so that's uh, th- this sort of is it's just an interesting playing out of, of a lot of different forms already recognizable in Kyrgyz politics, I would say. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely good to be the king, uh, as I guess mm-hmm. uh, Jean Bikov has learned. Um, moving forward to talk a bit about the sort of acute events that have led up to today's charges. Um, Tell us a bit about the August 7th raid, uh, which seems to really be kind of one of the most dramatic moments of this whole saga. Uh, I know there was a lot of uncertainty when that happened about how bad were things actually going to get. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about what happened and sort of your assessment of just how how serious um, the events of that night really are for Kyrgyzstan? On August 7th, 
uh, Adam Baev was at his home, which is a compound about 12 miles south of Bishkek in a village called Koitash. And he's got this three-story mansion kind of house and grounds. And over the past two months or so, he's been steadily accumulating supporters who have put up yurts on the premises. They've said that they had weapons. They're essentially holding out because over the last two months, Adam Baev has lost his presidential immunity. The Kyrgyz parliament voted to get rid of it. Uh, the general prosecutor had approved a raft of corruption charges and others uh, that they were considering leveling against him. Uh, and he had been summoned three times by the interior ministry to come in as a quote unquote witness uh, in the case against uh, uh, in the case regarding Aziz Batukayev's early release. So I had mentioned Aziz Batukayev earlier. He was released in 2013 when Adam Baev was president. Uh, he was released early on medical, for medical purposes. He had apparently been diagnosed with leukemia, but mm -hmm. it turns out that was fraudulent. He didn't have leukemia. He was just getting out of jail. And so he is in the wind. Um, and the, the Jean Bikov administration, I think, is part of its efforts really to go after Adam Baev went and found the dirtiest of the dirt they could find that they could pin on Adam Baev. Um, and they definitely can. He was president when this happened. Uh, it was a really shady deal. So there's like 18 some people who are involved in this case, including Adam Baev now. Um, but on the 7th, uh, the, the authorities, after having summoned Adam Baev three times and under Kyrgyz law, if you ignore two or more subpoenas, they can come and arrest you and forcibly bring you in it's part of the law. So they went and did that. Uh, but they did it with the special forces, like sneaking over the wall into Adam Baev's compound. He and there's and there were journalists on the premises because Adam Baev is very much a, a public guy. And so he had had uh, he allowed sort of the Kyrgyz press to be in his compound. And so there's video of Adam Baev shaking hands with people. And then you hear like a commotion by the wall and Adam Baev security like whisk him away into the house. And then the like Kyrgyz special forces guys come out of the trees. Um, and they essentially, I think what they thought was going to happen is they were just going to go nab him and then bring him back. And that would be it. Uh, but Adam Baev has been very defiant, said he would not come quietly, said he will not flee Kyrgyzstan. That was something he had the opportunity to do. He didn't. He stuck around, decided to fight. Uh, the Interior Ministry says that their guys were only using rubber bullets. Um, but Adam Baev's folks also had weapons, rocks, guns. And so as the night wore on, it got more and more chaotic. Adam Baev retreated into the house, which appears to have had sort of um, a number of fortifications, metal doors, things like that. Um, and by the end of the night, uh, one special forces uh, guy was killed, a gunshot wound. He had about 80 people injured on both sides. Adam Baez's people had held hostage about half a dozen special forces soldiers. Wow. Uh, and they, they released them the next morning, but uh, there are also Adam Baez is facing kidnapping, hostage-taking charges, thank you to that. Right. And so this 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 whole thing went went haywire. It it failed miserably. The special forces pulled out. The next morning uh, or the next day in the afternoon, they returned to the compound with a lot more force. Uh, they didn't. They kept journalists back, so there's less video of. There's no video that I've seen of the second raid, though it might be out there. Um, they cut communications to the compound. They did a lot of the things they probably should have done in the first one. Um, and ultimately, Adam negotiated a surrender of Adam Baev. So he came in 
The next day, he was charged with corruption related to the Bat- Batukayev case. And then today, he was charged with a whole bunch of uh, charges, hostage shaking, mass unrest, illegal weapons possession, conspiracy to commit murder, all of those things. Wow. It, it was it was it, it was very dramatic. Um, yeah. and it was a lot of. there's a lot of room for criticism of security forces for how they handled the first raid. But I also think there should be a little room um, for appreciation of the fact that they went in with less than deadly force. Cause you couldn't certainly envision a scenario in which they go in, someone starts shooting back, they load bullets, there's a massacre. And so that didn't happen. Um, And, and I I think that should be appreciated given, given the history of, of, um, certainly this region of, of how authorities react to resistance. Um, yeah, so, but yeah, go on. No, I was just going to ask you, I mean, so this, uh, so that was a terrific summary, by the way, uh, really from kind of where this all started and how we kind of got to the moment we're at today. Um, but I guess kind of like zooming out, the bigger question that this raises for me is what are the odds of this you know, this persecution effectively of Atambayev uh, for reasons just or unjust, um, the possibility of that basically polarizing Kyrgyz society and causing just a massive period of unrest that begins to have ramifications on on the region more broadly. Uh, I understand that this is a very domestic issue driven by these powerful personalities, but um, how, you know, what are some of the possible uh, unintended consequences of first order and second order in the region? When we talk about the big picture, I think it is important to keep in mind that this is very much a domestic issue. When we talk about Kyrgyzstan, a lot of times people will sort of focus on the geopolitical aspect, sorry, podcast, um, and, and sort of look at a map and see China and Russia and say this must be really important for China and Russia. But I really don't think it is. Um, Russia has a role in this that I can can discuss, but when it comes to the geopolitics of this, as long as this stays in Kyrgyzstan and they sort it out, nobody really cares who's in charge of Kyrgyzstan. Uh, so, so, so tell us a bit more about the Russia angle here. Okay, so uh, at the end of July, Adam Bayev uh, left his compound, which he hadn't really left in a couple of weeks, uh, took a private Russian jet uh, that flew out of the Russian military base, which is outside of Bishkek, the other side of Bishkek, and he flew to Moscow to meet with Vladimir Putin. Um, and then he flew back to Kyrgyzstan. And it was really interesting because Adam Bayev and Putin both had very similar but uh, significantly different in one way statements about their meeting. Uh, they both highlighted uh, that political stability is the important thing here. But one of the things that Putin said in his remarks after their meeting, um, after, after Adam Bayev had left, was that everyone should unite around the sitting president. And help him developing the state. Um, so when I read that, that that sort of struck me as as uh, Putin really saying, you know, I'm not. You can do what you want, but can you just stop doing whatever this crazy shit is? And Adam Bayev, however, said, you know, we agreed that both parties in the conflict should make efforts. Um, and so I think Adam Bayev went back to Kyrgyzstan thinking that Russia would lean on Jinbekov, but. Gene Bukov had been in Moscow, or I don't know if it was Moscow, but had met with Putin a couple of weeks before that. And I mm-hmm. can guarantee that this came up in conversation. And so Russia's interest in Kyrgyzstan at this moment is certainly stability. Um, Medvedev was in Kyrgyzstan for um, a meeting of the prime ministers of the Eurasian Economic Union, like two days after the botched, the first botched raid. 
And one of the things that he said to media was, Kyrgyzstan already had two revolutions. I think that's like its quota for the century. <laughs> um, and so, you know, Russia's interest is for them to just deal with this. Um, and and Zhinbakov is dealing with this. Uh, and and Adebayev, I think, is going to be out of luck because Russia is not going to rush to his defense. Right. And that's the only other kind of option that he would have. Um, yep. No conspiracy, unfortunately. Yeah. No, thanks a lot, Katie. I think that was a very helpful 19-minute summary of what appears to be a very busy few weeks for Kyrgyzstan. Uh, so, yeah, really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about all that. Uh, always, always a pleasure. Yeah. Um, and uh, just before we go, for our listeners, if you like what you heard on the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up with future episodes. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, please do leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, any of those services. We really appreciate it. It gets the word out about the show. And before we close, just a note from our sponsor. Uh, this episode of the Asia Geopolitics Podcast is brought to you by Diplomat Risk Intelligence, or DRI. DRI is the consulting and analysis division of The Diplomat, the Asia-Pacific's leading current affairs magazine. Since its launch in 2002, The Diplomat has been dedicated to quality analysis and commentary on events and trends in Asia and around the world, and is now one of the most respected publications covering this region. DRI inherits this approach and offers clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors worldwide access to an exclusive network of subject matter experts and analysts. Whatever your needs in the wider Asia-Pacific region, DRI can offer the knowledge and expertise necessary to anticipate and manage geopolitical and geoeconomic risks. For more information, please visit dri.thediplomat.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more.